5. Treatment. To the 17th century also belong the high-backed Spanish and Portuguese chairs, of dark brown leather, stamped with numerous figures, birds and floral scrolls, studded with brass nails and ornaments, while the legs and arms are alone visible as woodwork, they are made of chestnut, with some leafwork or scroll carving. There is a good representative woodcut of one of these chairs, until Baron Gavillier wrote his work on Spanish art. Very little was known of the different peculiarities by which we can now distinguish examples of woodwork and furniture of that country from many Italian or Flemish contemporary productions. Some of the museum specimens will assist the reader to mark some characteristics, and it may be observed generally that in the treatment of figure subjects in the carved work, the attitudes are somewhat strained, and, as has been stated, the outlines of the cabinets are without any special feature, besides the Spanish chestnut noir, which is singularly lustrous and was much used, one also finds cedar, cypress wood and pine, in the chapel of St. Bruno, attached to the Carthusian convent at Granada, the doors and interior fittings are excellent examples of inlaid Spanish work of the 17th century, the monks of this order at a somewhat earlier date are said to have produced the tarsia, or inlaid work, to which some allusion has already been made, the Renaissance in Germany, German Renaissance may be said to have made its debut under Albrecht Dürer. There was already in many of the German cities a disposition to copy Flemish artists, but under Dürer's influence this new departure became developed in a high degree, and, as the 16th century advanced, the Gothic designs of an earlier period were abandoned in favor of the more free treatment of figure ornament, scrolls, enriched panels and moldings, which mark the new era in all artwork. Many remarkable specimens of German carving are to be met with in Augsburg, Aschaffenburg, Berlin, Cologne, Dresden, Gotha, Munich, Mannheim, Nuremberg, Holm, Regensburg, and other old German towns. Although made of steel, the celebrated chair at Longford Castle in Wiltshire is worthy of some notice as a remarkable specimen of German Renaissance. It is fully described in Richardson's Studies from Old English Mansions. It was the work of Thomas Rukers, and was presented by the city of Augsburg to the Emperor of Germany in 1577. The city arms are at the back, and also the bust of the Emperor. The other minute and carefully finished decorative subjects represent different events in history, a triumphal procession of Caesar, the prophet Daniel explaining his dream, the landing of Aeneas, and other events. The Emperor Rudolphus placed the chair in the city of Prague. Gustavus Adolphus plundered the city and removed it to Sweden, whence it was brought by Mr. Gustavus Brander about 100 years ago, and sold by him to Lord Radnor, as is the case with Flemish wood carving, it is often difficult to identify German work, but its chief characteristics may be said to include an exuberant realism and a fondness for minute detail, Embonath has described this work in a telling phrase, L'Ensemblieski Tormente, Labriou, Tufu Tumultuiu, there is a remarkable example of rather late German Renaissance oak carving in the private chapel of S. Saviour's Hospital, in Osnaburg Street, Regent's Park, London, the choir stalls, some 31 in number, and the massive doorway, form part of a Carthusian monastery at Buxheim, Bavaria, which was sold and brought to London after the monastery had been secularized and had passed into the possession of the territorial landlords, the Bassenheim family at first intended to ornament one of the colleges at Oxford, it was afterwards resold and purchased by the author, and fitted to the interior of S. Saviour's, 
and so far as the proportions of the chapel would admit of such an arrangement, the relative positions of the different parts are maintained. The figures of the twelve apostles of David, Eleazar, Moses, Aaron, and of the eighteen saints at the backs of the choir stalls, are marvelous work, and the whole must have been a harmonious and well-considered arrangement of ornament. The work, executed by the monks themselves, is said to have been commenced in 1600, and to have been completed in 1651, and though a little later than, according to some authorities, the best time of the Renaissance, is so good a representation of German work of this period that it will well repay on examination, as the author was responsible for its arrangement in its present position, he has the permission of the ref. Mother at the head of us saviors to say that anyone who is interested in art will be allowed to see the chapel. The Renaissance in England. England under Henry VIII was peaceful and prosperous, and the king was ambitious to outvie his French contemporary, Francois I in the sumptuousness of his palaces, John of Padua, Holbein, Havernes of Cleves, and other artists, were induced to come to England and to introduce the new style. It, however, was of slow growth and we have in the mixture of Gothic, Italian and Flemish ornament, the style which is known as Tudor. It has been well said that feudalism was ruined by gunpowder. The old-fashioned feudal castle was no longer proof against cannon, and with the new order of things, threatening walls and serried battlements gave way as if by magic to the pomp and grace of the Italian mansion. High-roofed gables, rows of windows and glittering orioles looking down on terraced gardens, with vases and fountains, Mark the new epoch. The joiner's work played a very important part in the interior decoration of the castles and country seats of this time, and the roofs were magnificently timbered with native oak, which was available in longer lengths than that of foreign growth. The great hall in Hampton Court Palace, which was built by Cardinal Wolsey and presented to his master, the halls of Oxford, and many other public buildings which remain to us, are examples of fine woodwork in the roofs. Oak paneling was largely used to line the walls of the great halls, the linen scroll pattern being a favorite form of ornament. This term describes a panel carved to represent a napkin folded in close convolutions, and appears to have been adopted from German work. Specimens of this can be seen at Hampton Court, and in old churches decorated in the early part of the 16th century. There is also some fine paneling of this date in King's College, Cambridge. In this class of work, which accompanied the style known in architecture as the perpendicular. Some of the finest specimens of oak-ornamented interiors are to be found, that of the roof and choir stalls in the beautiful chapel of Henry VII, in Westminster Abbey, being world famous. The carved enrichments of the under part of the seats, or misericords, are especially minute, the subjects apparently being taken from old German engravings. This work was done in England before architecture and wood carving had altogether flung aside their Gothic trammels, and shoes an admixture of the new Italian style which was afterwards so generally adopted. There are in the British Museum some interesting records of contracts made in the ninth year of Henry VIII. Single quote as rain for joiner's work at Hongrave, in which the making of livery or service cupboards is specified. Ye cobards may be made ye fission of livery wise without doors. These were fitted up by the ordinary house carpenters, and consisted of three stages or shelves standing on four term legs, with a drawer for table linen. They were at this period not enclosed, but the mugs or drinking vessels were hung on hooks, and were taken down and replaced after use. The urine basin was also part of the complement of a livery cupboard, 
for cleansing these cups. In Harrison's description of England in the latter part of the 16th century the custom is thus described, each one as necessity urgent, calleth for a cup of such drinky as him likes. So when he hath tasted it, he delivereth the cup again to some one of the standers by, who maketh it clean by pouring out the drinky that remaineth, restoreth it to the cupboard from whence he fetched the same. It must be borne in mind, in considering the furniture of the earlier part of the 16th century, that the religious persecutions of the time, together with the general breakup of the feudal system, had gradually brought about the disuse of the old custom of the master of the house taking his meals in the large hall or house place, together with his retainers and dependents, and a smaller room leading from the great hall was fitted up with a dressoir or service cupboard, for the drinking vessels in the manner just described, with a bedstead, and a chair, some benches, and the board on trestles, which formed the table of the period. This room, called a parlor, or privy parlor, was the part of the house where the family enjoyed domestic life, and it is a singular fact that the clerics of the time, and also the court party, saw in this tendency towards private life so grave an objection that, in 1526, this change in fashion was the subject of a court ordinance, and also of a special pastoral from Bishop Grossbest. The text runs thus, Sundry noblemen and gentlemen and others do much delight eh, to dine in corners and secret places, and the reason given, was that it was a bad influence. Dividing class from class, the real reason was probably that by more private and domestic life, the power of the church over her members was weakened. In spite, however, of opposition in high places, the custom of using the smaller rooms became more common, and we shall find the furniture, as time goes on, designed accordingly. In the South Kensington Museum there is a very remarkable cabinet, the decoration of which points to its being made in England at this time, that island about the middle, or during the latter half, of the 16th century, but the highly finished and intricate marquetry and carving would seem to prove that Italian or German craftsmen had executed the work. It should be carefully examined as a very interesting specimen. The Tudor arms, the rose and portcullis, are inlaid on the stand, the arched panels in the folding doors, and at the ends of the cabinet are in high relief, representing battle scenes, and bear some resemblance to Holbein's style. The general arrangement of the design reminds one of a Roman triumphal arch. The woods employed are chiefly pear tree, inlaid with coromandel and other woods. Its height is 4 feet 7 inches and with 3 feet 1 inch but there is in it an immense amount of careful detail which could only be the work of the most skillful craftsmen of the day, and it was evidently intended for a room of moderate dimensions where the intricacies of design could be observed. Mr. Hungerford Pollen has described this cabinet fully, giving the subjects of the ornament, the Latin mottoes and inscriptions, and other details, which occupy over four closely printed pages of his museum catalogue. It cost the nation L500, and was an exceedingly judicious purchase. Chairs were during the first half of the 16th century very scarce articles, and as we have seen with other countries, only used for the master or mistress of the house. The chair which is said to have belonged to Anna Bolin, of which an illustration is given on page 74, is from the collection of the late Mr. Geo. Godwin, FSA formerly editor of The Builder, and was part of the contents of Achevier Castle. In count, it is of carved oak, inlaid with ebony and boxwood, and was probably made by an Italian workman. Settles were largely used, and both these and such chairs as then existed, were dependent, for richness of effect, 
upon the loose cushions with which they were furnished. If we attempt to gain a knowledge of the designs of the tables of the 16th and early part of the 17th centuries, from interiors represented in paintings of this period, the visit to the picture gallery will be almost in vain, for in nearly every case the table is covered by a cloth, as these cloths or carpets, as they were then termed, to distinguish them from the carpet or floor covering, often cost far more than the articles they covered. A word about them may be allowed. Most of the old inventories from 1590, after mentioning the framed or joint table, named the carpet of Turkey Werke which covered it, and in many cases there was still another covering to protect the best one, and when Frederick, Duke of Württemberg, visited England in 1592 he noted a very extravagant carpet at Hampton Court, which was embroidered with pearls and cost 50.000 crowns, the cushions or questions for the chairs of embroidered velvet, were also very important appendages to the otherwise hard oaken and ebony seats, and as the actual date of the will of Alderman Glassair quoted below is 1589, we may gather from the extract given, something of the character and value of these ornamental accessories which would probably have been in use for some five and twenty or thirty years previously. Inventory of the contents of the parlor of Street Jones, within the city of Chester of which place Alderman Glassair was Vice Chamberlain, a drawing table of joint work with a frame, valued at XL shillings, Achilles Laborel 20 your present money, two forms covered with turkey work to the same belongings, Zia shillings and the Iapensa joint frame XVJ, a board IJ, VJ, a little side table upon a frame IJ, via pair of virginals with the frame XXX, Sykes joint stools covered with nibblework XV, Sykes of their joint stools VJ, one chair of middlework IIJ, EIA, two little folk stools EIA, one lunch carpet of turkey work of ill, a short carpet of the same work as EIA, IIJ, one cupboard carpet of the same X Sykes questions of Turkisha, Sykes questions of tapestry XX, and others of velvet embroidered WT gold and silver armus in the Middlesley, eight pictures XLS, maps a pedigree of Earl Lester in, joint frame, and a list of books. This Alderman Glassair was apparently a man of taste and culture for those days, he had, casting bottles, of silver for sprinkling perfumes after dinner, and he also had a country house, at the sea, where his parlor was furnished with, a canopy bed, as the century advances, and we get well into Elizabeth's reign, wood carving becomes more ambitious and although it is impossible to distinguish the work of Flemish carvers who had settled in England from that of our native craftsmen, these doubtless acquired from the former much of their skill, in the costumes and in the faces of figures or busts, produced in the highly ornamental oak chimney pieces of the time, or in the carved portions of the four-post bedsteads, the national characteristics are preserved, and, with a certain grotesqueness introduced into the treatment of accessories, combined to distinguish the English school of Elizabethan ornament from other contemporary work, Noli, Longleaf, Burley, Hepfield, Hardwick, and Audley and are familiar instances of the change in interior decoration which accompanied that in architecture, terminal figures, that island pedestals diminishing towards their bases, surmounted by busts of men or women, elaborate interlaced strap work carved in low relief, trophies of fruit and flowers, take the places of the more gothic treatment formerly in vogue, the change in the design of furniture naturally followed, for in cases where Flemish or Italian carvers were not employed, 
The actual execution was often by the hand of the house carpenter, who was influenced by what he saw around him. The great chimney piece in Speak Hall, near Liverpool, portions of the staircase of Hepfield, and of other English mansions before mentioned, are good examples of the wood carving of this period, and the illustrations from authenticated examples which are given, will assist the reader to follow these remarks. There is a mirror frame at Goodrich Court of early Elizabethan work, carved in oak and partly gilt, the design is in the best style of Renaissance and more like Italian or French work than English. Architectural moldings, wreaths of flowers, cupids, and an allegorical figure of faith are harmoniously combined in the design, the size of the whole frame being 4 feet 5 in, by 3 feet 6 in, it bears the date 1559 and initials are in. This was the year in which Roland Mirak became Bishop of Bangor, and it is still in the possession of the Mirak family. A careful drawing of this frame was made by Henry Shaw, FSA and published in Specimens of Ancient Furniture Drawn from Existing Authorities, in 1836. This valuable work of reference also contains finished drawings of other noteworthy examples of the 16th century furniture and woodwork. Amongst these is one of the abbot's chair at Glastonbury, Temp. Henry VII, the original of the chair familiar to us now in the chancel of most churches, also a chair in the state room of Hardwick Hall, Derbyshire, covered with crimson velvet embroidered with silver tissue, and others, very interesting to refer to because the illustrations are all drawn from the articles themselves, and their descriptions are written by an excellent antiquarian and collector, Sir Samuel Rush Mirak, the mirror frame, described above was probably one of the first of its size and kind in England. It was the custom, as has been already stated, to paint the walls with subjects from history or scripture, and there are many precepts in existence from early times until about the beginning of Henry VII.S reign, directing how certain walls were to be decorated. The discontinuance of this fashion brought about the framing of pictures, and some of the paintings by Holbein, who came to this country about 1511 and received the patronage of Henry VII, some 14 or 15 years later, are probably the first pictures that were framed in England. There are some two or three of these at Hampton Court Palace, the ornament being a scroll in gold on a black background, the width of the frame very small in comparison with its canvas. Some of the old wall paintings had been on a small scale, and, where long stories were represented, the subjects instead of occupying the whole flank of the wall, had been divided into rows some three feet or less in height, these being separated by battens, and therefore the first frames would appear to be really little more than the addition of vertical sides to the horizontal top and bottom which such battens had formed. Subsequently, frames became more ornate and elaborate. After their application to pictures, their use for mirrors was but a step in advance, and the mirror in a carved and gilt or decorated frame, probably at first imported and afterwards copied, came to replace the older mirror of very small dimensions for toilet use, until early in the 15th century, mirrors of polished steel in the antique style, framed in silver and ivory, had been used, in the wardrobe account of Edward I the item occurs, a comb and a mirror of silver gilt, and we have an extract from the privy purse of expenses of Henry VII, which mentions the payment to a Frenchman for certain locking glasses, which would probably be a novelty then brought to His Majesty's notice. Indeed, there was no glass used for windows previous to the 15th century, the substitute being shaved horn, parchment, and sometimes mica. 
let into the shutters which enclose the window opening. The old paneling of rooms during the reign of Elizabeth was very handsome, and in the example at South Kensington, of which there is here an illustration, the country possesses a very excellent representative specimen. This was removed from an old house at Exeter, and its date is given by Mr. Hungerford Pollen as from 1550-75. The pilasters and carved panels under the cornice are very rich and in the best style of Elizabethan Renaissance, while the panels themselves, being plain, afford repose, and bring the ornament into a relief. The entire length is 52 feet and average height 8 feet 3 in. If this paneling could be arranged as it was fitted originally in the house of one of Elizabeth's subjects, with models of fireplace, molded ceiling, and accessories added, we should then have an object lesson of value, and be able to picture a Drake or a Raleigh in his West of England home, a later purchase by the Science and Art Department which was only secured last year for the extremely moderate price of L1.000, is the paneling of a room some 23 feet square and 12 feet 6 inches high, from Sizerg Castle, Westmoreland. The chimney piece was unfortunately not purchased, but the department has arranged the paneling as a room with a plaster model of the extremely handsome ceiling. The paneling is of richly figured oak, entirely devoid of polish, and is inlaid with black bog oak and holly. In geometrical designs, being divided at intervals by tall pilasters fluted with bog oak and having ionic capitals, the work was probably done locally, and from wood grown on the estate, and is one of the most remarkable examples in existence. The date is about 1560-1570, and it has been described in local literature of nearly 200 years ago. Illustration, Oak Wainscoting, from an old house in Exeter, S. Kensington Museum, period. English Renaissance about 1550-75, while we are on the subject of paneling, it may be worthwhile to point out that with regard to old English work of this date, one may safely take it for granted that where, as in the South Kensington Exeter example, the pilasters, frieze, and frame work are enriched, and the panels plain, the work was designed and made for the house, but, when the panels are carved and the rest plain, they were bought and then fitted up by the local carpenter. Another museum specimen of Elizabethan carved oak is a four-post bedstead, with the arms of the Countess of Devon, which bears date 1593, and has all the characteristics of the time. There is also a good example of Elizabethan woodwork in part of the interior of the Charter House, immortalized by Thackeray, when, as Grey Friars, in The Newcombs, he described it as the old school, where the Colonel, and Clive, and I were brought up. And it was here that, as a poor brother, the old colonel had returned to spend the evening of his gentle life. And, to quote Thackeray's pathetic lines, when the chapel bell began to toll, he lifted up his head a little, and said and soon, it was the word we used at school when names were called, this famous relic of old London, which fortunately escaped the great fire in 1666, was formerly an old monastery which Henry VII dissolved in 1537, and the house was given some few years later to Sir Edward, afterwards Lord North, from whom the Duke of Norfolk purchased it in 1565, and the handsome staircase, carved with terminal figures and Renaissance ornament, was probably built either by Lord North or his successor, the woodwork of the Great Hall, where the pensioners still dine every day, is very rich, the fluted columns with Corinthian capitals, the interlaced strap work, and other details of carved oak, 
are characteristic of the best 16th century woodwork in England, the shield bears the date of 1571. This was the year when the Duke of Norfolk, who was afterwards beheaded, was released from the tower on a kind of furlough, and probably amused himself with the enrichment of his mansion, then called Howard House, in the old governor's room, formerly the drawing room of the Howards. There is a specimen of the large wooden chimney piece of the end of the 16th century, painted instead of carved. After the Duke of Norfolk's death, the house was granted by the crown to his son, the Earl of Suffolk, who sold it in 1611 to the founder of the present hospital, Sir Thomas Sutton, a citizen who was reputed to be one of the wealthiest of his time, and some of the furniture given by him will be found noticed in the chapter on the Jacobean period. Illustration, Dining Hall in the Charter House, Shoeing Oak Screen in Front of Minstrel's Gallery, Dated 1571, Period, Elizabethan. There are in London other excellent examples of Elizabethan oak carving. Amongst those easily accessible and valuable for reference are the Hall of Gray's Inn, built in 1560, the second year of the Queen's reign, and Middle Temple Hall, built in 1572. An illustration of the carved screen supporting the minstrel's gallery in the older hall is given by permission of Mr. William R. Douthwaite, librarian of the inn, for whose work, Gray's Inn, its history and associations, it was specially prepared. The interlaced strap work generally found in Elizabethan carving, encircles the shafts of the columns as a decoration. The table in the center has also some low-relief carving on the drawer front which forms its frieze but the straight and severe style of leg leads us to place its date at some 50 years later than the hall. The desk on the left, and the table on the right, are probably later still. It may be mentioned here, too, that the long table which stands at the opposite end of the hall, on the dais, said to have been presented by Queen Elizabeth, is not of the design with which the furniture of her reign is associated by experts, the heavy cabriole legs, with bent knees corresponding with the legs of the chairs also on the dais, are of unmistakable Dutch origin, and, so far as the writer's observations and investigations have gone, were introduced into England about the time of William I.I.I. The same remarks apply to a table in Middle Temple Hall, also said to have been there during Elizabeth's time. Mr. Douthwaite alludes to the rumor of the Queen's gift in his book, and endeavored to substantiate it from records at his command, but in vain. The authorities at Middle Temple were also, so far as we have been able to ascertain, without any documentary evidence to prove the claim of their table to any greater age than the end of the 17th century. The carved oak screen of Middle Temple Hall is magnificent, and no one should miss seeing it. Terminal figures, fluted columns, panels broken up into smaller divisions, and carved enrichments of various devices, are all combined in a harmonious design, rich without being overcrowded and its effect is enhanced by the rich color given to it by age, by the excellent proportions of the hall, by the plain paneling of the three other sides, and above all by the grand oak roof, which is certainly one of the finest of its kind in England. Some of the tables and forms are of much later date, but an interest attaches even to this furniture from the fact of its having been made from oak grown close to the hall, and as one of the tables has a slab composed of an oak plank nearly 30 inches wide, we can imagine what fine old trees once grew and flourished close to the now busy Fleet Street, and the bustling strand. There are frames, too, in Middle Temple made from the oaken timbers which once formed the piles in the Thames, on which rested the Temple Stairs. In Mr. Herbert's Antiquities of the Courts of Chancery, 
There are several facts of interest in connection with the woodwork of Middle Temple. He mentions that the screen was paid for by contributions from each venture of 20 shillings, each barrister of 10 shillings, and every other member of 6 shillings and 8 pence, that the hall was founded in 1562, and furnished 10 years later, the screen being put up in 1574, and that the memorials of some 250 readers, which decorate the otherwise plain oak paneling, date from 1597 to 1804 the year in which Mr. Herbert's book was published, referring to the furniture. He says, the massy oak tables and benches with which this apartment was anciently furnished, still remain, and so may do for centuries, unless violently destroyed, being of wonderful strength. Mr. Herbert also mentions the masks and revels held in this famous hall in the time of Elizabeth. He also gives a list of quantities and prices of materials used in the decoration of Gray's Inn Hall. Illustration three carved oak panels, now in the courtroom of the Hall of the Carpenters Company, removed from the former hall, period, Elizabethan, in the Hall of the Carpenters Company, in Throgmorton Avenue, are three curious carved oak panels, worth noticing here, as they are of a date bringing them well into this period, they were formerly in the old hall, which escaped the great fire, and in the account books of the corporation is the following record of the cost of one of these panels, Paid for a planky to carve the arms of the company IIJ. Paid to the carver for carving the arms of the company's XIA. EIA. The price of material 3S. And workmanship 23S. 4D. Was certainly not excessive. All three panels are in excellent preservation. And the design of a harp. Being a rebus of the master's name. Is a quaint relic of old customs. Some other oak furniture. In the hall of this ancient company. Will be noticed in the following chapter. Mr. Jip, a former clerk of the company, has written an historical account of the carpenters, which contains many facts of interest. The office of King's Carpenter or Surveyor, the powers of the carpenters to search, examine, and impose fines for inefficient work, and the trade disputes with the joiners, the sawyers, and the woodmongers, are all entertaining reading, and throw many side lights on the woodwork of the 16th and 17th centuries. The illustration of Hardwick Hall shows oak paneling and decoration of a somewhat earlier, and also somewhat later time than Elizabeth, while the carved oak chairs are of Jacobean style. At Hardwick is still kept the historic chair in which it is said that William, for Thurl of Devonshire, sat when he and his friends compassed the downfall of James I.I., in the curious little chapel hung with ancient tapestry, and containing the original Bible and prayer book of Charles I. or other quaint chairs covered with cushions of 16th or early 17th century needlework. Before concluding the remarks on this period of English woodwork and furniture, further mention should be made of Penshurst Place, to which there has been already some reference in the chapter on the period of the Middle Ages. It was here that Sir Philip Sidney spent much of his time, and produced his best literary work. During the period of his retirement when he had lost the favor of Elizabeth, and in the room known as the Queen's Room, illustrated on page 89, some of the furniture is of this period, the crystal chandeliers are said to have been given by Leicester to his royal mistress, and some of the chairs and tables were sent down by the Queen, and presented to Sir Henry Sidney Phillips' father when she stayed at Penshurst during one of her royal progresses, the room, with its vases and bowls of old oriental china and the contempo.